Hey, this is Chuck Dixon, and you're listening to Signal of Doom. <laughs> well, you know, for me, the action is the juice. I'm in. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Signal of Doom. We have the mighty Mike Barron with us. Mike, how are you? Good, thank you. Well, Mike, it's always a pleasure to have you on Signal of Doom. Um, you were, Mike, I don't know if you realise this, you were our first guest ever. Did you know that? No. Yeah, yeah, you were because because you, you were the guy when I started properly collecting comics, as in like, you know, week after week, you were writing Punisher and that was what got me 100% hooked. So you were like my first serious comic book uh, guy, man. That's incredible, isn't it? Well, it's an honour, Oh, man, I mean, I still say all these years later, like a lot of great Punisher's been written by, you know, multiple people, but your run and that issue in the school, I think it was social studies, I, I still remember it, man. Like, you know, I still remember it all these years later. Like, it must be – was that like a, a sort of – when you were writing it, did that kind of write itself? Because there was so much going well, in on. In a way, in a way. Uh, the Punisher, uh, I approached it as a straight crime comic. And for three years, there were no monsters, time travel, superheroes, or science fiction. He dealt with uh, drug runners, biker gangs, uh uh, crooked bankers, uh, mm. charismatic preachers. Uh, it was uh, the stuff of which life is made. I always took stories from the headlines. Anybody who reads me knows that. And mm. I just drew inspiration from everyday life. Punisher was a, uh, a vigilante in the American tradition. Bob, stop whining. <laughs> yeah, but he was a, a vigilante in the American tradition, yeah? Yes, he was. And uh, Americans have always loved vigilantes. Yeah. The reason is vigilantes settled the West. And the reason they did that is when Americans spread West throughout the new country, mm. uh, they were explorers, opportunists, and adventurers. They didn't bring civilization with them. It often took civilization decades to catch up with them. You could settle a place and create a town and... 20 or 30 years later, they get around to creating a police department. Yeah. So the law was what you were able to get away with. Uh, and of course, there's no secret that they had to battle Indians. Yeah. Because uh, the Indians considered it their land. Sure. Uh, uh, and uh, many atrocities were committed on both sides. Mm. Uh, Wyatt Earp was a vigilante. Sure. Kit Carson was a vigilante. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Boone to a certain extent. Uh, but the vigilante has always loomed large in the American imagination. And all you need to do is, is look at our popular culture, Death Wish with Charles Bronson, oh, yeah. Dirty Harry with Clint Eastwood. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Equalizer with Denzel Washington. Oh, yeah. These all, yeah, these are all vigilantes that we root for yeah. uh, because they uh, uphold the code. They're not, they're not criminals. They're not harming the innocent quite the contrary mm. they're standing up for the innocent and that's why we root for vigilantes at least the right kind i totally get you man like and isn't it funny i mean look we'll get into it a bit later but you know how marvel have tried to dis disassociate themselves from the punisher while still making money off him 
And then they're like, oh, Punisher's a villain. He's such a bad guy. I'm like, man, you they're didn't read. That. They're into that now, right? Yeah, now and it's like, you, you didn't read uh, Mike Barron's Punisher or Chuck Dixon's Punisher. I mean, he, he does bad things to bad people, you know? Bob, if you have something to say, say it now. Spit it out, Bob. <laughs> no, all right, then get out of here. <laughs> but you know what I mean, Mike? Like, he does bad things to, to bad people. I mean, he's not Absolutely. harming the innocent. Like, No, he's not. Yeah, he's not and taking no a gun to the mall. With, I have no problem with police and military adapting the, the Punisher skull. On the uh, other. The reason yeah. I wrote Thin Blue Line, mm. among many other reasons, is I know a number of police officers, and the ones I know, all joined the force to be a positive force in their community. Yeah. They're not opportunists or criminals as they're often portrayed. Now we all know there are bad cops. I don't deny that, sure. but those aren't the police that I'm writing about. No, no. Oh, it's ridic ridiculous how they've tried to villainize the police as is every single policeman is just like, sort of like, you know, the very stereotypical bad cop that you'll get in like a TV show and stuff. Like it's, it's nuts. Our society's gone down the, the tubes, that's for sure. Now, um, yeah. before we get into this uh, properly, I have a couple of questions that I like to ask. Yes, and I've got a new obsession, Mike. And, you know, you've obviously, you've been around. You've knocked around. You've, you've been in Hollywood and stuff at times. I'm sure you've been to parties. You've, you've heard. Is astral travel, in your opinion, a real thing? Can people astral travel? Give me your take, Mike. Do you mean like go into a trance and wake up on another planet? Well, or even like, yeah, but even like skim, like if I'm sitting down here and, and the body, sorry, the whatever you want to call it, the spirit or the mind, it, it travels, you know, and the body remains stationary, but the mind travels. And like, I, I sometimes think it's possible, but then I'm like, Dave, am I just fantasizing? And I need to talk to someone who's been around longer than me, you know? <laughs> well, there's uh, no underestimating the power of the human imagination mm. uh, but realistically speaking mm. uh, I don't think it's possible for uh, a for a telepath or a telekinetic kinetic mm. Mm. to uh, broadcast their presence uh, to another site whether on earth or on another planet so you're saying no with, yeah we got to deal with physics here physics yeah. are real Theoretically, it is possible to use black holes to uh, cheat the time that it would take you to reach another planet in another system. There's a book about it. It's called uh, The Iron Sun. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it points out that a black hole was once a star and the star was spinning. And when it becomes a black hole, which is mm -hmm. when the weight becomes so great that not even light can escape and it shrinks down into a point, which we call a singularity, it's like a figure skater who's out there, she's twirling like this, but when she brings her in her hands like this, mm. her speed spinning increases astronomically. Mm. Uh, and uh, the author of The Iron Sun said, if you were to approach this event horizon at exactly the right angle mm. on the horizon, straight in with no deviation, it will whisk you into the black hole and spit you out of a white hole some light years hence. Wow. Uh, of course, we're not in any position to to test this right now. I was going to say, get on that, NASA. You know, like, let's... Do you, do you know we're going back to the moon, apparently? I, oh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I'm very glad to hear that. But what I'm hoping for in the next 10 years is we get to Mars because it's time to show these Martians a lesson. You know what I mean? Like, they've been hiding out in, the, in their little bunkers and stuff, and it's time, I think, Mike, to return the favour, don't you think? And... <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I, I know it would it would be fascinating to get to Mars and oh, yeah. land there and set up a awesome. an outpost and see what it's like. But let's not kid ourselves. Mm. The Earth was designed for life, and those other planets are not. It would yeah. be it would be very difficult to sustain life there. It will be difficult. It's difficult to sustain life on the moon. Yeah. Uh, because you have time. to create an artificial atmosphere, uh, uh, a world that's that's favors humans. And we need we need to breathe oxygen. We need to eat food. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Again, yeah. No. Well, I would say the moon's even harder than Mars. Like at least Mars is a planet and has some atmosphere, doesn't it? Like it, it has does. Some. And else has water. Yeah. Well, there we go. So come on, get on it. We need to get Sleepy Jojo out and get someone who knows what they're doing, and then we can get to Mars maybe a bit faster. And we ask, well, it's not, yeah. It's okay, Mike, we can, we can take a shot at him, it's fine. He's asleep, he doesn't even know, you know. Let's talk about, uh, about fiction and comics. Yes. But you know, I I shouldn't, I shouldn't say it because my last two books, Bronze, I mean, uh, Private American and Mm. Thin Blue Line, Mm. uh, were ripped from the headlines. They, totally, yeah. they deal with the reality. The reason I wrote Thin Blue Line was because, uh, like millions of others, I was watching these idiots yeah. out in front of cities who were burning to the ground. And the idiot was explaining that these were mostly peaceful protests, which resulted in billions of dollars of losses, the destruction of small businesses, thousands of small businesses, hundreds of murders. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, and, and then politicians, people who take an oath of office mm. to uphold the Constitution started calling for defunding the police. And we saw the results of that. Yeah, uh, And that's why I wrote Thin Blue Line. I love However, that book. I love that you. book, Mike. It was, it was, are you going to do a sequel to that at some point? Because that was a good one. It's already written. Oh, and Joe's go. already illustrating it. Excellent. And yeah, he did a really good job um, in, in drawing that as well. Like I really enjoyed Thin Blue Line. Um, now... Let's cut to your new project or your current project, Bronze Star. Um, okay, now I know it's a weird Western tale, which fascinates me. Can you take us through the pitch of this? Um, I'm also going to include the links. Uh, I've got an article here which details what it's all about, but I'll include... Take take us through what's what Bronze Star is and then you know how the crowdfunding is going and all that kind of stuff, Mike. Well, I asked, I've always wanted to work with Pat Broderick. And I said, Pat, what do you want to draw? And he said, I want to draw a supernatural Western. Cool. Uh, right away, the gears are spinning because I love Westerns. I just did a video of my 10 favorite Westerns. Uh-huh. Uh, you can find it if you Google Mike Barron, 10 favorite Westerns, YouTube, it'll come up. Awesome. Uh, and so my mind started clicking. And I came up with the story of a, uh, a former Quantrill's Raider. The Quantrill's Raiders were a group of Confederates who became a criminal gang after the end of the Civil War. And Harley Brogdon was disgusted by them. So he left and he went west, making a living by shooting game for the army mm. and by playing poker. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in a poker game when this card sharp draws down on him. And Harley draws first and kills the guy. But the card sharp's father is a very powerful landowner who will stop at nothing to get his hands on Harley. So they start hounding him throughout the West. Finally, he leaves the United States and goes into Canada. And he ends up at a tiny town at the foot of the Rockies called Cobb's Gap. There used to be a silver mine there, but it petered out after a couple of years. And now nobody goes near the mine and nobody will say why. Mm. History. Uh, 
yeah. In fact, uh, can you play the video? Uh, probably, yeah. Yeah, because that gives you a, a capsule description of the story and probably does a better job than I do because it's got music and is Sam Elliott narrating. Oh, really? Sam Elliott narrates? Oh, yeah. That's cool. Wowee, I love Sam Elliott, the guy from the ranch and all that kind of stuff. That, that's that's the, right. With the mustache, yeah. That's right. Wowee. Well, what I will do is I will put this video um, on the on on the social media pages. So this will be um, – here we go. I've got a video. Let's see if it plays. The Civil War was America's bloodiest conflict. Over half a million died to preserve national unity. When the war ended, Confederates like Harley Brogdon headed west, shooting games in the army and gambling. When a card game turns deadly, Harley shoots in self-defense, killing the card sharp who threw down first. Wilfred Knorr, the card sharp's wealthy father, will stop at nothing to see Harley hang. Harley flees to Cobb's Gap, an old silver mining town at the foot of the Rockies. A remarkably peaceful town, especially after dark. But the sheriff harbors a dark secret, and no one dares go into the mines anymore. Cobb's Gap is full of secrets. People speak in hushed tones of something in the mine. Something worse than their cursed sheriff. Something even the Indians fear. Tired of running, Harley falls in love with a local widow with secrets of her own. But when Nor's posse arrives seeking vengeance, the stage is set for a showdown with unimaginable horrors from the deepest pits of hell. And every secret will be exposed. Eisner winner Mike Barron and acclaimed illustrator Pat Broderick present one of the weirdest westerns that Comic Dom has ever seen. Bronze Star. A thrilling tale of love, revenge, and supernatural terror from the minds of two legendary creators. It's not the monster you're looking for. Order your copy at BronzeStarComic.com. Yeah. Private American is available now on Fund My Comic. If you go to theprivateamerican.com, it'll take you right there. Uh, Private American is my version of the Punisher today. Yeah. Uh, and it obviously struck a chord uh, because... Uh, the Punisher that uh, Marvel has been putting out uh, doesn't entertain. It, oh, it's it lectures, it, yeah. it beats you over the head with what a bad person you are. And, uh, and that's not what the Punisher is. Well, they, they make Punisher, um, it's so stupid what they do with Punisher now. Like they make him undead and then they make him, a, he's in Hydra and then he's in the hand and he's a ninja. Know. And, you know, it's like. I know. They, now, they don't know what to do with him. Did, were you, could you hear that? Um, Sam Elliott was talking. Could you hear it or not? No. Oh, right. Okay. Well, sorry. Sorry. It was actually playing. And, um, okay, look, I will put – he was sounding fantastic. Now, I will put up um, the video to to this Bronze Star um, on, on the links to this interview so that listeners can check this out because – from what I'm understanding, because what I'm remembering, Mike, is back in the, well, not really from the time, but like in later years, Weird Western Tales, like Jonah Hex and all that kind of stuff. Did you ever read yeah. any of that stuff in the like 70s and everything? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course good. I did. Did you ever meet um, Michael Fleischer, the, who was the writer of all that stuff? I never met him. I yeah. never met him. Yeah. He, he's an interesting guy. Um he floated around a lot. I think he wound up doing sort of like almost, um, what's the word? Like he was almost like a sociologist after he was in comics. And I think he went 
abroad and eventually died. And he he wrote even for 2000 AD, the British comic in his later years. Seems like an interesting guy. I'm I always I I, I wonder you know, what the situation was with him. Like, I mean, he wrote Jonah Hex for something like 20 years. He uh, had a famous dispute with Harlan Ellison, who called him Bugfuck. (laughs) So Michael Fleischer took that personally. I don't know why he did. It could be a compliment. Uh, (laughs) So he sued Harlan because he thought he was being libeled. And I don't know what happened to that suit. It's one of those silly suits that, that that, uh, comes up and grinds on until both parties decide to drop it. That seems ridiculous. Like, but there you go. Well, Harlan Ellison himself, a very um, <laughs> divisive guy, wasn't he? He was. He was a funny guy. Yeah. Did you ever meet him? Oh yeah. Once uh, uh, I went to his house. Yeah. Uh, with uh, with Bill Goldman, who owned the Golden Apple in Hollywood, and and his house was fascinating. He had all these secret rooms. Really. Uh, and then years later, I, I built my own house and I thought, well, that would be cool. And so I put a trap door in the floor of my bedroom closet that led into the basement. Cool. And it was cool for a while until one night uh, I had a friend over and we were going to go out for dinner. Yeah. And I said, hang on a second. I'm going to get my jacket. And I stepped into the bedroom closet and fell through the open trap door oh, no. into the basement and broke my hip. Oh, no. Wow. Yeah, and so so I'm recovering, uh, oh. and uh, the the comics press, which is fascinated by anything, yeah, uh, they said, well, "What happened? What happened?" And I, and I told them that story. I said I was inspired <laughs> by Harlan Ellison. So, so then, uh, a couple of weeks later, I get a phone call and I pick it up, and Harlan says, "Ellison is to blame. Ellison is at fault here." <laughs> He was quite uh, brilliant. I know he was very sort of fiery and what's the word? Um, difficult, volatile. but volatile. Yeah, but but quite brilliant as well. You know, yeah, he was a great writer. Yeah, interesting. There's a funny thing with um, Frank Sinatra. It, there's a famous article that someone wrote called "Frank Sinatra Has a Cold," and it was mid '60s, and Frank had a cold and was kind of you know what Frank Sinatra was like, kind of grumpy when he had a cold, and he was with these two women. And he saw um, Ellison was at the pool table, and he and Frank just couldn't stand him. He said, "Get him out of here! I want everyone out of here without suits and jackets." And Ellison, to his credit, kind of held his ground for a while against a Sinatra who was on a rage. You know, Which, I wish I could have seen that. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall of that of that situation. Two big egos clashing at a pool table. <laughs> Now, um, so tell us more, Mike. So in terms of um, Bronze Star, now you're crowdfunding, um, and it looks like I'm, I'm going to the thing here. You've almost raised, uh, you're close to 10K. Um, and, yeah, and, and I know from the previous time we were speaking, you were like, well, that basically just covers the basic costs of, of you know, paying the artists and stuff. Um how long is it, how long has it been going? And it seems like it's it's going well. Well, it's going to be on Fund My Comic indefinitely. We would like to be the first project there to reach ten thousand dollars. Sure. We're also on Kickstarter. When the Kickstarter campaign ends, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to go on Indiegogo. Now, I was able to leverage my last two books, Thin mm. Blue Line and Private American, way up there. Uh, and one of the reasons is because as soon as I announced those books. 
Yeah. Uh, these harpies on the left attacked me and called me all sorts of names. They called me a racist. Of course. Uh, a woman wrote an article about me, and the headline was, Mike Barron releases another racist AF comic book. And I, wow. She has never read anything I've written, nothing. She's no. just sheer uh, nasty reflex by these harpies on the left. Yeah. Uh, and when that got out, then we started to make some serious coin on the book. Good. Because people don't like that. They don't like the bullying and the name calling. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so they invested in the book. Everybody who got that book was delighted. They love it. It's great. Because it's exactly what the Punisher should be, but isn't. Oh, dude. Like, yeah. I mean, what what more can we say about these idiots who write these articles? Like, I, I they don't read it. They, they're coasting on what someone else has told them from someone else. And, and I mean, I've read... I would say I've read a good portion of your career of stuff, always entertaining, and I've never gone, gee, that Mike Barron's a racist. <laughs> and if they were on your social media, you're a very good-natured guy as well. It's like, yeah, Mike Barron's actually a bit of a funny guy. Uh, you know, like, if anything, you, I don't know. You know, it's not like you're... I don't, you know what I mean? It's not like you're a hate preacher on your... On your it's just bizarre. Like I know they obviously don't yeah. even know you or know about you, Mike. It's just reaction. Yeah. Well, I got a little quote here about that, which I I saved. Hang on. It is the left's greatest vulnerability is its meanness of spirit. Doesn't this explain the constant name calling? This is why former leftists remain immune to any further left wing rubbish. This is the crux of it. The essence. The pursuit of happiness is a natural urge, and the left's preoccupation with anger, hatred, and spite goes against our fundamental tendencies and normal desires. It's a twisted, dark, and ugly view of things. It can only hold sway if the power of good and truth is not actively embraced. Zoltan oh. Newberry wrote that. That's true. Well, yeah, that, Zoltan Newberry, it sounds like a name from Star Trek, but it's a, that's a great <laughs> comment. Like... Yeah, I, I'm I'm one of those guys, Mike. I'm kind of like fairly neutral, but I but I do find it hard to stomach some of their whining and complaining. You so know, I always say the world is divided into two types of people: people who just want to be left alone, and people who won't leave them alone. Yeah, well, I'm definitely in the leave alone camp. I'm just like, please, you know. But yeah, but um, I do want to mention. So this, I was reading the description of Bronze Star. There's Lovecraftian overtones. And this artwork by Pat Broderick is beautiful. Like this cover image of the of of I assume your lead character. Um, I'm looking at it now. It's just fa it's just beautiful. How many? I've got a question for you. When you, when you're doing these books, um, and you're funding them, have you written out the full script so you know how many pages it will be? Oh yeah, the script comes first. Yeah, the script always comes first. So how do you? Uh, like, do you say, okay, this will be a 48-pager, this will be a 30-pager, this will, you know, how do you sort of know how much the market will take? And, you know, obviously it costs the more pages you do for an artist and for, stuff as well. For what we're charging for these books, mm. uh, I f feel we have to deliver mm. a full, complete experience. So each of my scripts is at least 66 pages long. Cool. And the reason uh, there's 66 pages is so that they can be released later. There's three 22-page floppies with another publisher, as we did with Florida Man. Yeah. American Mythology published Florida Man in a three-issue series, and it was the biggest seller they ever had. 
That's cool, man. Like, it, yeah. it really feels like you've turned a corner in the last five years and suddenly you're getting back out there to the readers who want to read your stuff. Like, this whole thing has, has really helped you in a way. What has a lot of the credit goes to uh, my friend Chris Brawley, who mm-hmm. runs my campaigns and is responsible for those videos. Right. Uh, Chris is a professional videographer, uh, so he knows how to put together a video, and he's he's a smart, practical guy. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I I would not be here without his help. Well, I'm so glad you've got someone who's doing that for you because no, it's polished. When I was just looking at that, I mean Sam Elliott. I mean to me, what an iconic guy, iconic name. <laughs> You know, I have to. I have to tell you, it. Yeah, it's not really Sam, but it sounds just like him. Oh, it does. Yeah. Wow. Well, there you go. I mean, I, I wouldn't. Uh, I, I wouldn't know, but it did sound like him. And um, I mean, it's just such an iconic sound. I love it. Now, in um, in America, there, there's a fine tradition of Western comics in like the fifties and sixties. I remember as a kid reading some of my dad's from when he was a kid, and and I loved them. Did you read that kind of stuff when you were growing up? Like. You know? I read comic books, but I wasn't that much of a Western fan. Yeah. Uh, I read, first of all, I started reading Uncle Scrooge. Yeah. Uh, and for anybody who's interested in doing comics uh, professionally or just reading great comics, read Carl Barks. He was a master. Mm. There's not a wasted word or panel in anything he did. Uh, and then I got turned on to uh, superhero comics. I was in college when a guy showed me Steranko's Nick Fury. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I, I was just, blown away i just couldn't believe the art and i wonder why 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 aren't other artists doing this and it's funny because i i just visited with stranko a couple of weeks ago okay. he was in denver for con mm. uh, and i got to talk to him it was a real privilege uh and he's still hale and hearty he's 85 years old he's going wow. strong that's great uh, and i also yeah and i also was introduced to neil adams and then i became fan and i started haunting comic shops yeah uh, because first of all we're all attracted by the art we pick up a book because of the art first 100 uh, and i discovered uh barry smith's conan oh yeah and, and bernie wright's and swamp thing and these were the books i collected uh so this is like and, late 60s early 70s yeah that kind of era right yeah that's a powerful era in that's kind of what do they call that that's kind of like I guess, very early Bronze Age. It's a real lot of influx of really gifted artists coming together in those comics. Well, it was a golden age. It's yeah. not what, what the, the historians call the golden age, but for me it was a golden age. Oh, I totally agree. Uh, because yeah. you had such this wide variety of artistic styles, Yeah, which were just brilliant. It's good to hear that Starenko is still going because like, we're losing some of the great ones. I saw John Romita Sr. passed away, sadly, uh, a couple of days ago. You know, it's getting yep. getting to that age where I, it's unfortunate Neil Adams passed away, and I mean he was brilliant. Um, yeah, no. So I just want to, before we move off the Bronze Star stuff because I think it's great. Um, favorite West favorite Western movies. I know you mentioned you've got a web page. Um, I'm going to ask you for yours, but I'm going to name this one my all time favorite, and it's probably one of my all time favorite movies is the Outlaw Josie Wales. Familiar with this one, Mike? Clint Eastwood. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think that is one of the best. That that was. I always knew Clint Eastwood. I'm like, you know, yeah, Clint Eastwood's cool and everything. I knew him as a kid. I'm like, you looked up to him. I watched that movie and I really. That's when I got it. I was like, this guy knows what he's doing. You know, what what would be if you had to name a couple of your top western movies? Where would you be? 
I have to say that that movie is on a lot of people's 10 best lists. My list begins with The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Great movie. Uh, then I think Shane, mm-hmm. uh, The Magnificent Seven. Great movie. Um, Steve McQueen, Yobrina, Hard to Beat. Uh, True Grit. John yeah. Wayne has, has two, two movies yeah. in my top 10 list. Uh uh, the Wild Bunch. Oh, Sam Peckinpah. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, uh, let's see, we did Magnificent Seven. The Professionals with Lee Marvin and Burt Lancaster. That's a brutal movie. That's a great movie. Yeah. yeah so and, these are and, classics, yeah. Uh, and two of my movies in my top ten list are, uh, that aren't that well known are, are Valdez is Coming and Ulzana's Raid. Uh, both star yeah. Burt Lancaster, and they're both brilliant in their own way. Valdez is coming is based on Elmore Leonard novel. Really? Uh, where where uh, Bert plays a Mexican police officer who's kind of tricked into killing a fugitive who doesn't deserve to be killed. Right. Uh, and when he goes to the powerful landowner that tricked him and says, will you give me $100 for the widow? Uh, the landowner brutally mistreats him mm. uh, and he barely survives. Uh, and when he finally he gets back to his home, he goes to his bed and he pulls the steamer trunk out from under the cot and opens it up. And there's his uh, uniform from when he was an Indian scout for the U.S. Army and his Sharps rifle. And, you know, oh, we got a, another guy here. They underestimated. Sure. Uh, and he goes to work. It's just a, a fabulous movie. Ozana's Raid uh, is... Uh, about uh, an Apache Indian who leaves the reservation, goes on a killing spree, right. and it gives a very, very different view of the Indians uh-huh. than most recent uh, Westerns. It's not that recent. It was made in the 30s, uh, excuse me, in the 70s. Yeah. Uh, and the landscape, the landscape p- plays a huge role in it. And, and Bert Lancaster plays this wizened old Indian scout who keeps warning them, uh, but those those are two that, that are on my 10 best list. Wow. Uh, I'm a massive Burt Lancaster fan, and I have those two movies, and I haven't watched them. Um, just recently, I, I heard, I think Chuck Dixon was recommending them, and, and he and I'm, man, after you've just pitched them to me, and I'm like, I can't wait to watch them, because I love Burt Lancaster. I think he's fantastic. Very have you good. ever seen, it's not a Western, um, a, a movie called Vera Cruz? It's one of my... You know, Favorites. No, I haven't. I haven't. And, and you know, it's on my radar. And now that you mention it, I'll see it. You, yeah, you should because it's it's it, it's a lot of fun. You know what I mean? It's it's a it's it's a it's a crazy movie in a way. And Burt Lancaster is magnificent. I mean, he was a great actor. They don't make them like that anymore. You know, um, super super proper movie star. Um, another two that I would say, um, I think Unforgiven is, is, is fantastic, but my favourite... That's is, on my top ten list too. Yeah, it's a good movie. Rio Bravo. I, I think that's just a, a great movie. If, if I, I could throw on Rio Bravo any time and be sat... Dean Martin, John Wayne, like what's not to like about that movie, you know? Well, it's a little it's a little shaggy and ramshackle for my taste, but <laughs> I understand its appeal. Well, you know me, I'm a I'm a massive Dean Martin fan, so me it doesn't too. it doesn't take much for me to um to, to enjoy a Dean Martin movie. Um now, uh 
we we have slightly covered it, but I read in the lead up to this because, by the way, Mike, as soon as we're off this, I'll I'll back um, Bronze Star. Um, I backed Private American, and I Thank read. You. Oh no, no worries. I read it um, in the lead up to this. Can I just say what a pleasure? And when I got to the end, I was like, Mike, I want more. <laughs> I'm working on the second issue now. And I was going to ask you so. I mean, this is the nature of the beast. You're obviously a busy guy. You've got multiple projects. Um, you, sort of, how do you do it? Do you finish the script for Private American, you, you hand it to the artist, and then you work on the next thing, and then sort of while Bronze Star, you've, I assume you've got the script done, do you then work on the script for the next thing? Like you're constantly in production? Is that, you know, you sort of the, well, the yes, style? Yes, although I'm working on several projects at once. Now, obviously, when I'm actually writing, I can only work on one project Yes, uh, but I'm always working on several projects at once. I think that's important mm. uh, for a writer. The reason is uh, uh, you may come to the point where you don't know what happens next. Yep. And when that happens, you can't force it. Mm. What you do do is you uh, you switch mm. to another project, and it puts your it shifts gears in your brain. Yeah, that's so a good. So that, that's that a good you tip. can uh, approach the other project with a fresh. Uh, uh, outlook and and uh get things flowing again and if you just you know if you think about it you let your subconscious work uh mm. it will often the way forward will reveal itself to you uh, the thing is about fiction is what happens next is the most important question because if the reader doesn't care he's not going to turn the page so you have to make the reader care yeah well, how to yeah. make the reader care there are a thousand different ways you use everything in the kitchen sink uh, one way is you create a character who's so fascinating mm. in and of himself uh, that people will tune in because they can't get enough of him. And I'm thinking of Sherlock Holmes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Another method is to create a situation that's fascinating in and of itself, such as Jurassic Park. Mm. It has an inherent appeal for people who love dinosaurs. Those are just two ways to make the reader care, but there are an infinite number of ways. Yeah, that's that's a, as a writer myself. I remember this is many years ago, but I remember writing. I was writing. A, I was one of those people in my twenties. I was writing a book, and it just never seemed to end. You know, like I was I was having a good time doing it. It was, but it was like, and and suddenly I got to a point where my lead character she kind of got captured, like and almost pinned in like a web kind of thing. And I realized that I had no idea how to get her out. I had no idea what she was going to do next. It was almost as if she'd lost. You know what I mean? Like, which of course they never really do. Yeah. And it was, and I took a break from it, you know, as in like what you're talking about, almost to recharge my brain. And eventually, you know, I realized not just her problem, but the problems with the story I was writing. And eventually I went back and retooled it. But you, I mean, you're a professional writer. I'm a part-time writer, but you, but you, it must be difficult sometimes when you know when you were punching out monthly scripts for comics. How did you keep the vibe going? You know, was it was it the deadline? Was that a big assistance to you almost in a way? I've never missed a deadline in my life. Yeah. Uh, when I was young and foolish, I did a lot of drugs. <laughs> right, As yeah, years many ago. Many of us did. Sure, and me too. Was, hey, I smoked a lot of dope in the 90s, man. You know, seriously, like for a couple of years. And I used to think that I could get inspiration from cocaine. Right. Uh, which you can't, of course. <laughs> and at some point, you either quit or you die. So, and inspiration to do more cocaine is usually what happens, I think, Mike. <laughs> there's an old saying is you do your first snort of cocaine, you feel like a new man. 
Yeah. But 15 minutes later, the new man needs a snort. <laughs> Can I ask a I, I've never, like, the only drugs I've ever done is, is, um, is dope, and that was a couple of years. With cocaine, I, and I'm such an innocent, you know, as in I've never, never touched any of this stuff. I, I didn't know that there was like a, like a, a not a side effect, but like a come down. I thought cocaine that was just like oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. That's what people told me. So it, there's actually like, is it like a hangover? Like you know, if you drink a lot of alcohol, it's, it's much worse. It's this wow. anxiety that eats at your soul. It's hollowness. You're Jesus, to sleep. Your heart is beating. God, you know, I think about it now, and and uh, yeah. it makes me. me Gives me the heebie-jeebies. Well, I mean, thank God, Mike. You're blessed now. You're you're happy. You're healthy. You know, you got a good wife. <laughs> Keeps you away from that kind of stuff. But like, oh yeah, it's nuts, man, isn't it? Because a lot of people. Have you ever seen? You know, the Rock um, guy. Um, what's his name? Alice Cooper. In the oh yeah, I, I love, saw him once. Yeah, he he's a cool guy, and he, he went through this period. Um, in the very late 70s, early 80s, where he was heavily on crack cocaine, and I saw a picture from about 81 at a concert. He looks dead. He actually looks dead. And, well, that may have yeah. been partly the makeup. <laughs> yeah, it may have been. But seriously, I will send you this picture afterwards. And I know what you mean. Yeah, Alice Cooper, we know he plays that role, but he went through a period of a couple of years where, um, you know... Um, the songwriter who works with Elton John, um, Bernie Taupin, I believe his name is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so they – something happened. I don't know what happened. They were recording an album together or something, and basically what happened was he introduced Alice Cooper to crack cocaine, and then Alice Cooper went off the deep end, like way off the deep end. And he was like a walking corpse for a couple of years, and he did actually clean up completely, but it was – Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's nuts, man. See, I'm such an innocent, Mike. I, I, I wouldn't even know. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't even know these things. And I always thought, I was like, oh, I thought it just gave you like a high, and then you sort of went back to re- regular. But the high was so good, the people were just chasing it. But then I was told, oh no, there's this really severe come down, and I was like, man, I could live without that. You know, that's yeah. yeah well, that's we crazy. used to take downers, right? To sleep, you know. Is this, is this the 80s, man? Was it just wild? Yes, it was the 80s. Wow. Jeepers creepers. Isn't it ironic? <laughs> and I, I mean, I, we'll move off this topic, but it's kind of ironic that you were writing Punisher. <laughs> it is. <laughs> you know, like... I remember a time in, at a con when there were, I was with some of the two of the most prominent creators in comics, mm. and we were all doing blow. And sure. These, these two guys were working on projects right there. They had drawing boards on their lap and they're drawing away and yeah. and they lean over and do another line and then they keep wow. on drawing, drawing all night long. But hey, you know what, man? I don't mean, like, at the end of the day, you, you're living your life. We all go down some crazy avenues and you know what? At the end of the day, if you're alive and well now, does it really matter? You know? Yeah, well, I thank God that I straightened out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Did, did um... How can I say this? Like, it must have been... I imagine drawing would have been easier than writing if you were like that. Because I would have... Well, yeah. I, I think so, too. Once you've mastered it, and these guys were masters. Sure. Uh, but, like, I'm on a live stream every Monday night with the Comics Gate Kings. Yeah. Uh, and I'm the only writer. All the others are artists. Right. And some of them are drawn away while we're doing the streaming. 
yeah. that's how they can they can stay on that stream for three hours. I yeah. couldn't, you know, I'm good uh, for an hour to at a pop maybe, uh, but then they just you know they're they're working away because whatever it is, whether it's uh, an actual project that, that's going to see print or they're just doing a sketch for a fan, they can yeah. turn that into money. You know, yeah, 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 no, it's good. I mean, yeah, were you ever? Um, you know, when you first kind of broke in or when you were trying to break in, did you, were you ever kind of like a part-time artist as well? I know some writers were, and then you realized that writing was the thing. I tried to draw for years and years, and, and uh, I'm sure you know this, but for 20 years I wrote comic books by drawing each page out by hand. And I'm not a good artist, but I'm good enough sure. that anybody can see at a glance what, I, what I'm getting at. And artists and editors loved it for that reason. They didn't have to read through a, a big overblown script. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By somebody who doesn't know how to describe things. I now write full script, but my scripts are very terse. Right. Because I know how to get the maximum bang uh, for your buck when it comes to words. I keep paring it down and paring it down. And when it comes to the script, what's actually going to appear in the comic, I'm like Scrooge McDuck with gold coins. Uh, you know, I'm reluctant to let them go. I was going to say, he hoards them. He loves them. He hoards them. Right. <laughs> you have to You have to have words in a comic. I don't believe in wordless comics. Sure. Uh, they, take, they take five minutes to read, and then you forget them. Yeah. Uh, it's the words that reverberate, but they have to be in, in the right context. Mm. Uh, and, and the trick is not to get verbose. Uh, not to do a lot of word balloons, don't have these lengthy captions. We've all seen comics, especially recently from the big two, mm. uh, where you turn the page and there's 500 words. Oh, I know, it's in, exhausting. In eight, in eight boxes all over the, the page yeah. covering the art. And your first reaction is to, to groan. Yeah. Oh, oh man! You know, yeah, I, yeah. I the eyes glaze over. Yet. The eyes glaze over. In my yeah. opinion, I tell you what, it it is modern comics. Uh, uh, and I could name certain former Batman, recent Batman writers, but uh, there's some old writers who were pretty guilty of that as well. I don't know if you're familiar with a guy, uh, Don McGregor. Um, I, I've seen Don at cons. I I really don't know him. Well, I could tell you what, one time on Signal we did one of his books and honestly, Mike, it was like reading War and Peace. <laughs> but except War and Peace would be a lot better than what I was reading. It, it, it just, put it this way, it just wasn't my cup of tea. I was just like, I came here to read a comic. You know what I mean? Like, and, and it was just, so yeah, it, it's changed. I noticed in Private American that you've pared it down to basics. Like, he just says, I'm Private American. Can you take us through what, in your mind, that means for that character? When he says, I'm a private American, it's just... Well, first of all, he's a vigilante in the American condition. Marcos Zamora is a second-generation Cuban. Mm. And like many people who came to this country, and either first or second generation, they are more patriotic than the people who are born here and take freedom for granted. Mm. Uh, Zamora was special forces. He was in Afghanistan, honorably discharged, mm. and he lives in Texas. And every day he sees the results of this disastrous open border policy, uh, children left behind, children murdered and raped, mm. uh, fentanyl deaths. Fentanyl deaths are now 100,000 in the United States, Shit. and 99% of it comes over the southern border. Uh, terrorists flowing into the country. Mm. Every day you read about 
criminals uh, with multiple convictions for rape, murder, and, and smuggling who have been apprehended four or five times. They send them back across the, the border, and then they just sneak right back into the country because there's no enforcement. And when the administration says the, the border is secure, it, it would be laughable if mm. it weren't so cruel and mm. disastrous. Uh, why are they doing this? Well, there are a number of reasons. They want to replace Americans who won't vote for them mm. with grateful foreigners who will. Now, if I was living in some shithole of a country and I could barely get by sure. and I saw what was happening here, I'd come too. I'd bring my family too. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so the private American doesn't go after people who are just looking for a better life. He's going after human smugglers, mm. uh, drug smugglers, and terrorists were flowing across the country. Uh, when we first meet him, he's interrupting a snakehead who's about to rape a 13-year-old girl. And that goes on every day, every day. Uh, I think 70% of, of the women mm. who come into this country uh, across the southern border are raped. It's horrible. Uh, and those are FBI statistics. Yeah. Uh, and yet they allow this and they pretend it's not happening. Uh, I don't know if the nation can survive. Is is it just that the border's too big to patrol? I, I no, not at all. Not yeah. at all. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, under Trump, we had the lowest number of illegal aliens uh, in half a century. Good. Uh, and, we, and the difference is because Trump cares about the average American. Mm. And I don't think that we've had a an administration that cared about the average American uh, before or since. Certainly mm. this present administration That's has no hopeless. interest in helping yeah. Americans. In fact, it seems everything they do is designed to make our lives more difficult. Mm. This whole Green New Deal is a fantasy built on, on a, a hill of sand. Mm. Uh, solar and wind uh, can't begin to provide our energy needs. Yeah, no, it's uh, a this, big lie, isn't it? It's a huge lie. Like it could yeah, help, it could help, but it'll never replace. You know. Yeah, I don't want to get. That's okay, man. Get down in these political trenches. Those are my thoughts, and and oh. I don't deny that private American is to a certain extent a political book, but first and foremost, it's entertaining. And hundred percent that fact. Yeah. yeah oh, dude. Yeah. That. I mean, Mike, whatever your thoughts are, you're welcome to have them and share them with us. We don't mind. You know what I mean? Like, you, you, like as far as I'm concerned, you, you know, it's everyone's entitled to their own opinion. I tend to agree with you, though. And one thing I will say is, listeners, seriously, you can, they can still get private American, can't they, if they want to, Mike? They, they can get, you know? Theprivateamerican.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I will put that in the in the in the show notes for this episode, um, and I, I can thoroughly endorse it. I read it this week in preparation for this, and I was loving it, Mike. And oh, thank you. Oh man, it's just great stuff. And what I've realised over the last probably as long as I've been doing this show with guys like you and with Chuck, and you know, you're, you're taking these avenues and you're coming up with original content. And I'm like, this is a lot better than the big two. Like it's a lot better. The big two right now. I mean, they're like the little two. They're so shit, you know? <laughs> like, well, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And it's like, you know what? If I went down to the bookstore, I'd just buy a book by someone I liked. It doesn't need to be connected to an IP. That's really big. So, you know, a writer writes a book, and that's their story. This, these are your stories that you guys are writing, and and I think it's fantastic. And yeah, and the only thing I thought when I got to the end of Private American, and the same thing with Thin Blue Line, is I want more, Mike. 
yeah, this, the second Thin Blue Line is written, and I'm really excited about that one. I think I knocked that one out of the park. It's completely different from the first. Cool. Uh, and I'll tell you the title. It's mm. called The Revolving Door, so you can imagine what it's about. Cool. Yeah, about like the criminals that go in and come back out, that kind of thing. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Great. Uh, yeah, no, it's crazy. I've actually said before, um, with the rapists, I, I don't know why we just don't kill them. You know, I said I said this there recently on a show. I'm like, you know, you get the people who do the the in Australia, you get it too, like the the gangs that do the gang rapes and stuff. And I'm like, why are we just killing these people? Why why are we even putting them through the system? Why should they ever be out? You know, why why let them into the country in the first place? Now Sweden is shocked to discover that all these Muslims they let into the country are raping and murdering people. They are shocked to discover this. Yeah, well, you know, I'm not, but yeah. Um, now turning to just a couple of, couple of little things before, um, last night, actually, um, I was on the DC infinite, which is their, like their sort of digital library. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, Micah, they have all their books on an app now where you can go in. And I read a couple of your dead men stuff that you did with Kelly Jones. Um, fascinating man. And what an, what a crazy weird art style he has. How did you two guys come together to do those Dead Men? Because I know there was a big collection released a couple of years ago. That's funny because uh, I was working on Action Comics, which is uh, features several of their heroes. Yeah. And one of them they assigned me was Dead Man. I think Dan Jurgens did an episode and a couple other guys. And then they brought in this new guy, Kelly Jones. Yeah. So we did a couple short episodes for Action Comics. Uh, and then I... I pitched my editor i said i'd like to do a dead man graphic novel yeah. and i got the green light and my insight was that dead man was not a superhero he was a horror character mm. so those were horror stories and and kelly took that and exploded that's where he became kelly jones anybody who's seen those books today says wow you know they're amazing I mean, yeah, the, yeah. The, the artwork is just next level. And it, you are right. It's very horror-esque. It's very, like, I'm no horror comics expert, but, like, um, it's like Swamp Thingy kind of thing. It's it's really good. Like, I, I was – and I, I, I know next to nothing about Dead Man, uh, like, you know, really honestly. And I was like, man, these are cool. And I was really glad I read them. So, you know, listeners, uh, they're available um, – on this DC Infinite, but also I do know that a couple of years ago, Mike, I saw you holding like a big collection of Dead Man. Yeah, yeah, I have it in the other room. It's it's, uh, it's from enormous. Graffiti Designs. It's a book that that the, that's that big. Big. It's it's the size of the original art. That's cool. Uh, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, that it's must be fantastic for the artists when they can see their artwork in a in a published book at the size that they do it. Like, because I'm that idiot who, when I was reading comics in the 80s, did not realise. I thought it the art was the same size as the comic. <laughs> like, how was I knowing, good to know? I was a kid, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Kelly's had a number of those volumes published, including his Batman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he gives, he gives Batman a horror overtone just the way he draws him. Oh, my God, yeah. He does Batman with the, with the really tall ears. Right. Um, oh, and also Kelly is doing a cover... Mm. For Bronze Star. Oh, really? Which we, okay. will, we will offer as soon as he finishes it, as soon as he gets back from Italy, stuffing his face. Yeah. He's well, been over there yeah. for weeks. So 
on a tour of Italy, but he's coming back next week, and then he's going to get it done. Well, God bless him. He, he's such a distinctive artist, and and I remember him very well from the nineties, like through Nightfall and stuff when he was doing his Batman. But you now this Dead Man stuff, I was very impressed. Um, another question I had, and we may have discussed it before, but I went back and read your two-parter um, that you did in Legends of the Dark Knight with uh, I'm pretty going to remember Bill Reinhold. Bill Reinhold, yeah. Wow, uh, this was fun. Did, now, was Batman, uh, as far as I'm aware, was that your only taste of getting on a Batman book? Was this an ambition, or how did this well, one come about? I did an annual. I did one annual that I think Ross Andrew drew. And, wow. Uh, Archie Goodwin was my editor on that. Okay. And Ross Andrew was a brilliant Spider-Man artist. It must have been a pleasure to work with him, Mike. Oh, I was. Yeah, I've got, to, I've got to check that one out. Now, how did you, with this two-parter for uh, Legends of Dark Knight, it's a crazy story, man. Um, who who brought you on? Was it Archie? Was it Denny O'Neill? Like, who reached out and said, we need you Jeez, on this? Dave, you know, I would I have remember. to dig the comic out and see who <laughs> the editor was. It was so long ago. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is over 30 years ago. Jesus, really? Yeah, and it's good though, man. I read it last night, and and I'm just like, I mean, we we know that this kind of character and world building is easy. Now, for you, now I want to say um, with Bill Reinhold, I know that you guys did a lot of badger back in the day, right? Is is that correct? You, what's what, you hold my orange? Yes, uh, <laughs> Bill was one of my favorite badger artists. Any more Badger to come, Mike? Because you know I yes, love Badger. I've, yes, I've written a graphic novel. Uh, okay. Uh, but the thing is that with Chris running my camp, my fundraisers, yes, uh, I can only run one at a time. Sure. Otherwise, they start eating into each other. Now, there are guys who can run multiple fundraisers at, at, at a time because their work is in such demand. Mm. Uh, like my friend Ethan Van Skyver. Oh, yeah. Uh, with Cyberfrog, but... But he's not just doing the books. He's doing merchandising. He's got toys and garments and stuff. And, and people are crazy for that stuff. My IP isn't that big yet. Uh, but my pipeline is filled. Well, that's great. Uh, yeah, yeah. As soon as we're done with Bronze Star, uh, we're going to launch uh, Florida Man graphic novel number two. Cool. Uh, and and its only purpose is to make you laugh. And I'm really proud of that one. It's... it's uh, even better than the first one. And I was very happy with that one. And when that's done, mm. uh, we're going to do uh, a Nexus graphic novel that Kelsey Shannon is illustrating. Wow. Uh, and his work is just magnificent. He's already done one. The dark horse is going to release next year. I'm very excited about it. Uh, and after that, uh, Richard Bonk, who did private American mm. uh, is blazing his way through Sherlock Holmes meets Captain Nemo. And I can't tell you how great that is. And this is something you've written. Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, was... yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, Mike, I mean, it sounds like, um, I'm really happy for you, Mike, because I'm, what I'm hearing, these are brilliant projects. And it sounds like you fully committed. And I agree. I, I, I think if you put all of that stuff out at once, you'd kind of saturate the market too much. And I, I think structuring it, like, I'll get off this call, I'll pick up Ron Star, and then the next one's going to come and pick. You know, it's it's like regular comics, um, and, and I think it gives people a chance to breathe, and it gives you time, too, because, I, I you know, how long does it take to knock out a script for Sherlock Holmes versus Nemo? What, how long are we it talking? It took a couple of weeks. It couple. took a couple of weeks, because, again, the script is 66 pages long. Yeah. I just sent you a page... Uh, 
via Facebook Messenger. Cool. Uh, so you get a taste of it. Uh, and I'm looking at that page right now. Richard is so good. This is his métier. Uh, yeah. This uh, steampunk Victorian stuff. I'm looking at it right now. I think we're going to investigate it further. Looks uh, great. But in the meantime, he's going to have to do Private American number two. C- yeah. Can I ask a question? Um, Captain Nemo versus Sherlock Holmes, brilliance. What did you think, if you've read them, of Alan Moore's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen stuff? Because that kind of played with the sort of same eras. What did you I think? Thought, I thought his early books were outstanding, but, mm. but I think that Alan has deteriorated over the years because I bought mm. another one that was toward the end of the run, and it just seemed mechanical to me. It didn't, mm. it didn't zing. Mm. It didn't have that personality. Uh, yeah. uh, but, you know, he's written some of my favorite comics. I loved Watchmen. Oh, yeah. Uh, and some of his and his swamp thing, uh, and you know we we all have our ups and downs. And, sure. And, uh, his first two I volumes think, of that uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen I thought were brilliant. The first two, you know, the, yeah. early on. Like I agree with you, the later stuff it almost felt a bit sort of just slapdash, like kind of half an idea, you know. But I mean, he's a brilliant guy. Um, it'd be interesting. I know he's not, uh, uh, you know, someone who sort of interviews and stuff, but wouldn't it be interesting to kind of get him talking like we're talking now and just get kind of get straight answers as opposed to sort of the mysticism of Alan Moore, you know? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'd find it interesting, you know. I, I've I've read his stuff from way back in the 80s when he was on 2000 AD, when he did stuff like Halo Jones. Like, it was brilliant, you know. it was It was leagues ahead of the competition at the time, you know. Interesting guy, interesting guy. Um, now, Mike, I had a couple of questions um, just to just to sort of wrap up. It was they're kind of more joke questions. These are these are from some listeners. Um, I'll, I'll ask them to you because you've been such a good sport as always, Mike. And I don't mean to keep you too long. Um, it's a question they 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 always ask questions, Mike, that I find. I would not. I would not ask myself. You know what I mean? And then I'm like, but I'm like, I I, I like giving them the chance. So. Michael Kellershim asks, he says, Mike, the future approaches, is it A, an Orwellian Orwellian dystopia with Big Brother, B, a McDonald's future where everything promises to be great, but when it arrives, it's utterly disappointing, disappointing, nothing like the ad, or C, a Wally E future where we are all 500 pounds strapped to a recliner and watching streaming all day? Jesus. All three. <laughs> yeah, all three. Exactly, exactly. A dystopia with bad ads and we're all watching streaming. I agree. Um, he also wants me to ask about apparently some lawsuit. Maybe this is the person you're talking about against Daily Cause. And that's the, the people. Yes, yeah. that's true. So is there actually a lawsuit, Mike, with this or has it been resolved? We're talking to an attorney. He's a very good oh, attorney. Good. Uh, yeah. And uh, we are preparing to... Ask for a retraction. Right. I hope they give it. Like, but you know what I always think, Mike? These, like, excuse my French, but these fucking radicals, like, they don't care, man. They, they're operating out of their basements and, you know, on their laptops, and it just feels like they're always a moving target to me, you know? It's almost like they, they set up and... Um, you, you ever seen the movie... Um, this is kind of funny. The movie with Mel Gibson when he's in Vietnam. It's called We Were Soldiers. Oh, yes. Yeah, great movie. You remember at the end where he actually wins the battle, but the Viet Cong just basically sort of pack up and move to another location at the end? 
they sort of pack it. That's that's how these radicals are, man. Like you can you can smash one, but they just pop up somewhere else straight away. Um, they're not deep thinkers. No, they're not deep thinkers at all. Um, they almost need um, the private American to go after them and maybe wipe a few out. <laughs> um, uh, so you've got, he asked a question about uh, after Indiegogo did an obvious shadow ban on your private American comic, where will you go now to raise funds for your books? Well, you've got a few different sites, haven't you, that you're on? We're on Fund My Comic now, and I think that everybody in Comicsgate, at least the kings, are going to put their projects on Fund My Comic. Cool. Uh, because it's creator friendly. And, and the guy who, who uh, put it together, mm. Luke Stone, uh, says, I, I designed this so that you could have transparency in raising funds for your project and we don't discriminate. I'm sure if somebody came in with some vile S&M saga or something, sure. he, would, he wouldn't allow that. Uh, but so far, the gamut of projects that are being offered are, are all legitimate entertainment. Cool. Um, now, also, he, you know, we've touched on this, but what are your thoughts, Mike, on what the, <laughs> he on what Jason Aaron did to Punisher recently? Do you think do you feel it's better to exile Frank to Fairyland or just have him left alone and be unpublished? So, well, I, I you know, I haven't read it. Yeah, I, it's I've great. read excerpts that have appeared in the fan press and and read articles about it uh it's not my punisher it's not the punisher people want no exactly Uh, and uh, it it does not seem designed to entertain which is the number one failure because that's why people buy comics is they want entertainment but it's marvel's character they can do with it whatever they like yeah and you know what they can't take away your punisher Chuck's Punisher, um, uh, Garth Ennis' Punisher. They can't take all that stuff away. It's it's there. We've got the trades. We've got the hardcovers. And you guys have gone on to bigger and better things, frankly. And, you know, they can put Frank in Fantasyland fighting dinosaurs and we can all just ignore it, you know? Um, now, and the last question is, how does it feel to be the most censored badass in comics? I mean, <laughs> hardly, hardly, Dave. Thank you for saying that. It feels, it feels good that that I've found my groove. Yeah, uh, and that I'm more excited than ever about writing for graphic novels. Yeah, well, Mike. I mean, that's the key. We want you excited, and you're so productive. And I just feel, man, like you're on a great track. And I'm really glad that you've got this guy helping you out with the, with the, you know, the um, what do you call it? Like setting up the the funding and stuff and the promotion. Yes, you know. And uh, he created the comic book news site, Bleeding Fool. Right. And I encourage all the viewers to check out Bleeding Fool, bleedingfool.com. It's fantastic, Mike. Well, all the links to everything we've discussed, I will put in the show notes and I'll put on the Facebook page. Um, Mike, is there anything else you'd like to say to the audience? Because it has been an absolute pleasure as always, Mike. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Always take a hat. That's it. Yo, Joe. (laughs) All right. See you, Mike. Thanks so much, mate. Okay.